And let's face it, most people in my community that really are underserved, people living in poverty, and people who are truly on the fringes in this region, they're not going to call me up looking for acupuncture. They're not going to call me up looking for their local acupuncturist. They don't even know what acupuncture is, let alone how it can be relevant. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. I've been thinking a lot lately about resiliency. You know, you know how sometimes you have an encounter with a patient and it leaves an unusually deep impression? I had that happen the other day. Someone who's usually timid and tight, exquisitely attends to all manner of little things in a serious way. But the other day, he was funny. Like, cracking jokes funny. I'm not talking comedy club style. But in our conversation, he let his humor slip out a bit. I got a glimpse of someone that perhaps his wife fell in love with. A bit of a window into how he might be with his children. It was sweet. And it reminded me that with some spaciousness in our lives, there's a kind of sweetness that shows up, even in the midst of illness, discomfort, uncertainty, and fear. I've been thinking about resiliency because the world feels brittle at this moment. It might be fun to listen to this podcast a year or two from now and reflect on the current situation with the coronavirus fears that are sweeping through our world. It's not easy to get a read on this thing. A journalist pal of mine says, if you don't listen to the media, you're uninformed. And if you do listen to the media, then you're misinformed. I suspect this gets to the crux of the issue, especially around uncertainty at this particular moment in time. And I think about how we fondly look at our medicine that has, over the ages, treated epidemic disease. We know the names and perhaps the methods of famous doctors from the pantheon of Chinese medicine's superheroes. But right now, it's our turn at bat, and I'm not feeling that well-equipped. Theory and fact, they're not the same. The actual practice of medicine in the midst of panic and misinformation, it's hard. In this moment of time, we see how interconnected our world is, as economies teeter and politicians look to boost their ratings in the poll of the hour. I wonder if those Chinese doctors in the past felt like this, if they had both a sense of dread and curiosity. I wonder if they saw not just the disease process in the body, but how the social fabric was affected as well. I wonder if they were more aware of the connections we all share, but usually aren't aware of sharing, the way we're deeply interdependent on each other. And it brings me back to resiliency, back to how it is that my timid patient has found a way to let his spirit shine out a little more. How was it that the doctors of the past embraced the uncertainty and social disruption when contagious disease came to town? What did they do to keep heart and mind stable in the onslaught of fear? And how do we treat people when a pathogen affects not just the body, but the entire society? And how do we take care of ourselves so that we have the opportunity in this terrible moment to take care of others. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Ryan Bemis on bringing acupuncture to refugees and those in extreme and difficult situations. In some ways, the content of this conversation goes in the opposite direction of the narrative of the moment when we're being asked to create more social distance. And one of the thrusts of Ryan's work is bringing people together in groups. When this production schedule was drawn up, the coronavirus was just a rumor coming out of Wuhan. The reality of this moment as we publish this conversation is very, very different. And I thought about not airing this episode at this time, but then I realized that part of Ryan's work is about attending to the social fabric of a community. 
And right now, especially as we retreat from one another physically, it's all the more necessary to attend to our connections. Fear easily feeds on isolation. Now, more than ever, we need to attend to our community. If the coronavirus does nothing else, it shows us how deeply we actually are interdependent on each other. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account 
and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. All right, friends, let's get into this conversation on healing and the power of community. Ryan Bemis, welcome to Geological. Hey, thanks for having me. So glad to have you. It's always fun to talk to people that are doing interesting and different things with Chinese medicine. And you're you're down there in the borderlands. You're down in Texas, right? Yeah, I, I live in El Paso. My uh, clinic is is down in this area, and then we uh, have a project over in Juarez, Mexico, as well. So yeah. I'm curious about this project that you've got going on. I've, I've heard from some other acupuncturists that you are working a lot with refugees. I mean, you're like deep into all that crazy nonsense that's happening down on the border. And over the past year, there's been as many as 70,000 migrants who have come to the border region, and about a third of them are in Juarez, Mexico. Um, just become a, a city of refugees. So as you can imagine, healthcare is a challenge for them. There's a lot of insecurity. There's gangs, cartels preying on them. There's corrupt border officials on both sides of the border playing with them. There's a lot of danger. So we, we focus on creating safe space for them. And we've been able to, over the past year, offer over 5,000 treatments. We got weekly clinics and shelters and churches where they are hiding. What got you involved in this kind of work? What drew you to this? What, what Was there a spark? Was there a moment in time where you were thinking, I got to do something about this? Or was this something that just over time, you just noticed that, oh, I'm, I'm kind of working with these folks and one thing leads to another leads to another. How, how did it go for you? I mean, during my last year in acupuncture school, I heard about some women in Juarez, Mexico that were gathering to do Tai Chi in a church. So I, I went right down to visit them. And it was August 2010. It was one of the most violent months ever in the history of Juarez. And they introduced me to this priest, who, Monsignor Rene Blanco. Yeah, he and I got coffee, and, and uh, he's really excited about the alternative medicine that, that they were offering within churches throughout Juarez. And he told me how frustrated he is to talk to journalists that only come to write about the problems, how all they want to do is write about the violence and cartels and, and the war on drugs. And he tells me what he really hopes for, that, that if there's a new story about his hometown, that Juarez would become the city of peace. You know, he's twice a cancer survivor. You know, things like acupuncture saved him, and, and he got this vision to bring acupuncture into these churches. And so I came back to school that last year, inspired to be a part of this this crazy training nuns and acupuncture idea with this liberation theologian hippie priest. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how it all began. So. so you're in Portland, you're in acupuncture school. You hear about nuns in a church that are doing Tai Chi. Yeah. And you said, I got to go. Yeah. You know, I got invited into these communities. Uh, they're welcoming. Um, they wanted to learn 
acupuncture. And so we started exploring how can we, how can we figure out how to do that? And the best place to start was teaching them the, the NADA ear acupuncture protocol. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's super easy to learn. So let me, let me see if I got this right. You're down there teaching them certain types of acupuncture so they can better serve their communities. Yeah. Charles Bowden is a writer down in this region. He passed away a few years ago. He was a big supporter of our project. And there's this quote that, that you know, I think uh, sums up what we're trying to do. And he says, there is only this fact. We either find a way to make their world better or they will come to our better world. So south of the border, Latin America, Central America, Mexico, poverty prevents 30% of the people from getting health care. So how can acupuncture make their world better? In a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of possibilities, but what is the model how to do that? I mean, there's a lot of things we could do. It'd be one thing for me to go down uh, all around Mexico offering acupuncture for all the all the people there. And you can't send them to medical school, and you really don't need to send them to four years of acupuncture education and get a hundred grand in debt to make acupuncture something relevant and helpful in the situation. So we looked around the world at other types of projects. In, in similar contexts, post-war contexts, disaster relief, um, international de uh, community development projects, and looked at how to create a model of acupuncture education designed for local people with minimal education. You know, maybe no healthcare experience at all, but people with heart and soul, people wanting to help, people who are serving the front lines of poverty, of violence, of addictions, recovery, and empowering them with something simple, safe, and effective. I love hearing you say this, you know, here in the States, of course, we have our licenses, we have our legalities, there's, you know, all the systems, you know, professions. I mean, these days people want to be a doctor, you know, and all for good reasons, but you're looking at a situation down there and lots of people all over the world are looking at situations where if they knew enough acupuncture, they could be super helpful to their communities, right? And we know acupuncture is pretty damn safe. And we know it's really effective. And NADA, of course, is, is an easy protocol. You don't even have to be an acupuncturist to learn it, right? You could just be a detox specialist. Well, in, in more than half the U.S. states, yeah, there's a policy in place where addictions workers can do it. But there's still half the United States, there's no policy in place. So places where there's the most acupuncturists like California and Oregon, there's no policy in place. And, and acupuncturists are uh, often the ones who are resisting these types of, of, of policy change. So, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of progress we need to do here in the United States, but there are a lot of states. The majority of the U.S. states now are, um, have a policy in place. You know, that's one of the things that brought me down here, too. I was in Oregon. There's no policy to offer this type of training for addictions workers up there. I was working in addictions care up there. I wasn't able to offer the NADA protocol in Oregon. So down in New Mexico, they have a policy where acupuncturists fought for, for this type of policy to, to allow um, addictions workers, recovery workers, to allow us to be able to offer the NADA protocol for refugees along the border here. So, Yeah. Well, I mean, I get it. I, I, remember, I was on the uh, board, state board in Missouri, uh, and there were some discussions about that. Do we, do we let that in? Do we not let that in? There's, you know, there's good arguments on both sides. I know that a lot of acupuncturists, you know, they're worried about chiropractors, they're worried about physical therapists, they're just worried about, you know, other professions sort of getting into 
I'm using air quotes here, our turf. People rightly have some concerns about that. At the same time, what you're talking about with like addiction help, well, and, 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 and here's something that's even more interesting to me, right? You're, I mean, you're working south of the border as well, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and it sounds like what you're doing, what, what you're looking to do is to empower communities to take care of themselves. There's one of you, right? And you've got people that you work with. And, and like you were saying, you could take this to other places. But what if you could empower places so that the people can take care of themselves? You're going to get so much more leverage that way if you can do that. Yeah. And just to take it back a second, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of, uh, of real sound argument to stand on to oppose addictions recovery workers from offering the NADA protocol within to make a dent in the opioid epidemic in the United States. There's just not. The acupuncturists uh, don't have a lot of training in, in addictions. They, a lot of them don't have a lot of interest in working in public health. They're, they're pretty comfortable, by and large, in their spa clinics and their private practices. So, I mean, it's important to understand that historically in the U.S., acupuncturists make the biggest difference when we partner with other healthcare providers, particularly communities of recovery. In the 1970s, acupuncturists worked with the Black Panthers and the Young Lords. And this led to the movement of the NADA protocol. And, you know, this relationship between acupuncturists and public health workers, you know, laid the groundwork to make possible the, the landmark 1997 National Institute of Health Statement on Acupuncture, which was a huge step for our entire profession. You know, in Oregon, you know, achieving Medicaid coverage for acupuncture came through acupuncturists partnering with addictions recovery programs. So, I mean, these are examples of activism born out of solidarity with under, underserved communities. And I think that's, that's a, a, an important place for the acupuncturists to, to reflect on how they can make uh, a difference. Making acupuncture relevant for everyday people, but also for people who need it the most. So. It sounds like you've focused a lot of your time and effort on that. So I'd, I'd like to hear more of your experience, how you see that unfolding in the work that you're doing. I mean, so our vision is to, you know, a future where acupuncture is something relevant, something accessible, not just for some people, but for everyone. So helping, helping communities here in the border region, in Central America, helping them to establish and sustain their own community-supported health services, that, you know, that's what we're all about. So teaching people from there how to, how to offer this protocol. Um, you know, we're not a hit-and-run medical aid project. We bring a lot of volunteers to our region. We educate a lot of acupuncturists in the United States as well. We give them a, a deep understanding of how acupuncture works as a, as a humanitarian aid intervention and empowerment tool to really see how to make acupuncture something real for people that, that may not even have a doctor, let alone acupuncture. So one of my uh, first students, uh, her name is Beatrice, and she works in this place called the Valley of Juarez which is this uh, rural area outside, just south of the border, a major drug and human trafficking route, bringing people and drugs and, and arms across the border. And in 2010, the murder rates there were similar to, to a war, war zone, you know, Syria and Afghanistan. And 90% of her, of her community has either died or, or is gone. 
so we taught her this not not a protocol and she's you know able to offer this treatment out of the store that she had to close a few years before because of the violence and so people knock on the door to her her, her old store and she invites them in and offers this not a your acupuncture protocol and this is a place there's not a lot of doctors not on mental health care so in her community, even though the NADA protocol is something really small and really simple, it can make a huge difference. You know, and, and empowering her, her as a community health worker. She, she had no experience in healthcare before this. So giving her some tools, teaching her, empowering her to make a, different, a small difference in her community. So. It sounds like she's not making a small difference. It sounds oh, like yeah. she makes a significant difference. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it, it, the NADA protocols, you know, is not like the solution to all of the world's problems. You know, in, in here in the border region, we work with a lot of refugees, a lot of the migrants. It's it's one one thing that we offer them. I mean, safety, food, shelter, those are primary things that they're seeking. The NADA protocols just, and acupuncture is just one thing to, to create, facilitating, you know, creating safe space for, for, for people who, who are facing a lot of insecurity, who have experienced a lot of trauma. You mentioned that in addition to NADA, you've looked at other types of acupuncture, other protocols, other ways that acupuncture is being used across the world to help in these kind of situations. In addition to the NADA protocol, what else are you guys doing? Well, we started out by we start out by training people in the NADA protocol, and that was our primary training program for many years. We uh, you know, developed our model in consultation with other projects in the developing world, um, refugee programs that had done the NADA protocol and done other types of, of basic basic protocol trainings, you know, similar to the barefoot doctor movement in China. So the, one of the primary programs is a Guatemalan acupuncture and medical aid project, which was started in the mid nineties in response to the refugee situation there. They started in, in offering NADA protocol training and they went on to develop a 270 hour acupuncture training program for health promoters. So, you know, about five years ago, our students really wanted to build a, a school, a community acupuncture school where they could learn basic protocols like the Mary Lee protocol, their basic protocols. There's a MOXA protocols that have been uh, taught to health promoters in other parts of the world, programs like MOX Africa. And so we just started looking at what are some simple, safe tools that we can teach them. And, and, and it's kind of been this kind of massive experiment and just, and we just seeing how it goes. So we've got a lot of really amazing mentors to you know, show us how to do this. You know, we've uh, created a project where the students you know, are, are uh, directly involved in, in informing their curriculum development. So, I mean, it's a lot of fun and, and we're still trying to, you know, figure out, you know, what is the most effective way to teach. We have a lot of uh, really awesome teachers from around the U.S. and outside of the U.S. who are kind of helping us figure this out. So, so yeah, we've got uh, a few groups of students that have completed our 400-hour community acupuncture training program. So, and you know, I think one of the important things about it is is that we don't we don't charge for tuition. So we ask that they don't charge for services. Um, so this is not becoming a, a for-profit activity, and that's not the that's not the goal. So, um, it sounds like the goal is to train people locally 
so they can be a service to their community. Yeah, teaching people how to how to respond to their own healthcare problems. Um, you know, I'm I'm an outsider, so I'm not from there. I don't know how to how to make acupuncture sustainable and accessible in a place like the Valley of Juarez, right? Or in a small village in Guatemala where we were last month, uh, training a group of indigenous health workers how to offer this NADA protocol. I don't I don't know the language. I know Spanish. I don't know Kekchi. You know, the entire training was was translated through Kekchi. So Nicaragua, where we um, went a few months ago, and we're going to go back in February. And these are places where the local people are the best ones to to empower with these tools. And there's a lot you can teach them. So, so yeah. And then it's really exciting to see the creative things that they can do when you put a few tools in their hands. The creative, inspiring things that they that they latch onto a year ago. everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. What are some of the things that you've seen? How have you seen people take what you're sharing with them in terms of knowledge and skills what are you seeing them turn it into in their communities? So a year ago, we're walking across the, the bridge from Juarez over to El Paso, across the U.S.-Mexico border above the Rio Grande River. And there are hundreds and hundreds of migrants who are sleeping on the bridge, waiting in line to seek asylum there. It's cold, it's windy. And so we just brought our needles down, went down and... You know, started uh, asking if they wanted a treatment. And our students were like, hey, I want to be there. We had all sorts of students show up. I want to help. Students from both sides of the border. We had people calling us up, you know, from places like Oregon. Now I want to come down and help. We, uh, you know, build a relationship with a, a shelter in Wadis. Um, we offer weekly treatments at a shelter for over 600 people are sheltered. You know, just last week, you know, we started a new clinic at a shelter where over 1,000 are being are being held held in shelters. So a third of the migrants along the entire border region are in Juarez, Mexico now. So over 60,000 have asked for asylum. Only 11 have received asylum in the past year. So the situation continues to deteriorate. So, And the need for, for healthcare in these places is, is huge. There's not a lot of resources. These are all volunteers who are offering this treatment too. There's There's not a lot of funds for this. So yeah, and it's just their heart and soul that's driving this. So 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, yeah. it sounds, let me make sure I've got this right. It sounds like you've got a group of people, students, practitioners, you know, folks on this side of the border, they're coming down, they want to be involved, they want to help. That That's one piece. You got some person power to, to take and, and, and do some work with that, the problems there. But it also sounds like you're also looking to train and give super helpful empowerment tools and some basic medical knowledge to people that are living on the other side of the border. You're looking to help empower the people within the communities to support their own community. It sounds like you've got two prongs to your work there. Do I, am I getting that right? Yeah, I mean, teaching them to take care of their own, you know, to improve their own health services. So the thing that I'm curious about is for the people in the communities, how do you see them taking the tools that you're teaching them? And get it out into their community. What are some of the interesting things that you see or innovative things that you see people doing that you've trained in terms of helping to support their communities with their newfound skills? Well, I mean, one example that comes top of my mind is last August. It was the day after the El Paso shooting. And I woke up on Sunday morning. I was feeling really down, really depressed, really deflated. You know, I was driving around El Paso at the same time this shooting happened at Walmart across town. The next morning I get up and Sunday and I got all these texts from students and colleagues of mine that offer this NADA protocol, local therapists, you know, and from the other side of the border too. Hey, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to respond to this problem? So we started showing up at some of the vigils and offering the treatment. And then we decided to um, ask if we can uh, go in right across the street from the Walmart where there was this massive memorial being held and they had this guardrail right above the Walmart. You look across the Walmart, you can see what is in the distance. And in the guardrail, they've got flowers. People are just bringing in flowers, memorials, crosses, pictures of loved ones who died. And there's just like thousands of people coming and going. So we, we just put a little tent up, put, some, put a chair circles right in front of the memorial, and we just started offering this NADA protocol. They put us between the, the Billy Graham bus who was doing their evangelical healing and it was right next to Hooters. And Walmart's <laughs> right there. It was, it was really kind of a wild all-American scene. It was a very sad place too. We worked with a lot of the Walmart employees, friends and family who had, who had uh, lost a loved one. You know, who, who you know, would have thought that offering acupuncture outside a, a shooting scene, outside of a Walmart in front of a Hooters, is a place to, to, where healing can be possible. And uh, we had volunteers drive all the way, from all the way across Texas to help us out. So, you know, those types of events in this country, in this time in history, you know, are, are, are really depressing. So they're quite deflating. You know, the political situation in the United States, and in particular the border region, I don't see it improving, you know. So where do we get hope? And I think that's one of the acupuncture, one of the things that acupuncture I've seen it do is, is to be able to offer hope, offer hope for people, create safe space for them to be at peace, to bring their guards down, to do their own healing, which is really, I, I think, a bigger picture. That's, that's, that's what we need to do in this country. 
we are a country full of hurt people. Hurt people hurt people, you know? So this man that, that came to El Paso to, to execute all these people, his motives were, were to strike fear into migrants and refugees trying to come north. So it, it's really scary times that we're in. You know, and acupuncture can be a huge part of, of the solution. You know, so. I, I've heard you use the term a couple of times now about helping to create a safe space. I just work in my own private clinic in a nice neighborhood. So it's already safe where I'm at. But it sounds like you're going into places that are, that are war zones in some situations, in places where there's a lot of suffering, in places where there's a lot of poverty. Lots of difficulties. How do you create safe space in a place where there's a lot of where there's just not much safety? How do you guys go about doing that? That sounds super important to people. Well, it starts with who's creating that space. You know, who who who's offering that, and what, what kind of relationship do they have to the community? And, and so, you know, the, the way that you know, our nonprofit Crossroads Acupuncture works is, is partnering with, with local communities, getting to know them, building relationships with them, understanding the needs of their community, teaching them some simple things. So yeah. How do you guys do that? What can you like walk me through what that looks like? Like what a training is like? I think before you get to the training, how you find a way to connect with a community in a way that they trust you enough to say, yes, we would like to have your help. Trust comes over time. You know, communities affected by trauma, building relationships with them. I, I think being consistent, being humble, right? coming in with an open mind, and knowing the right people to involve in that. So in our project in Juarez, you know, I met this priest who was really interested in, in teaching people in his churches how to do acupuncture. You know, and just putting it out there that, you know, we've got this tool that we can teach to your people. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And, and supporting his vision. You know, one of our first students out of that training, you know, was a woman named Sada. And she works in this uh, part of Wadis where there's been a lot of violence. And you know, she works in a church a few blocks from where this, this home or, or this birthday party, you know, 10 years ago. Assassins opened fire on 60 teenagers, killed 15. She offers, you know, this nada ear acupuncture, you know, underneath the Guadalupe altar in the church. At the same time as the, you got this charismatic prayer group doing their, their singing and prayers on the other side of the church, the same time she's offering this treatment. You know, on that same altar, you know, a man was kidnapped, you know, off the altar during his wedding, you know, just a few months before I visited. So how do we connect with, with, with women like Sada? How do we connect with this woman like Beatrice out in the Valley of Juarez. And so building relationships with, with these churches, which I found in Juarez to be a very uh, trustworthy and grounded partner that was already creating safe space for people in churches. Churches are places where people feel, you know, feel safe, where people go for refuge, for spiritual refuge, for emotional refuge, to get support, um, to get food, to ask for help. And so figuring out where are, these, where are the right places to offer this, this NADA ear acupuncture model is something that has been developed for, you know, many decades. 
and it works because it's simple. It's not a complex thing. You know, one of the one of my mentors is Dr. Michael Smith, the founder of of the NADA movement. You know, he told me something I'll never forget. He said, you know, you got complex problems, more complex problems. You need a more simpler approach. You need a more simpler protocol. You know, we got this situation at the border. We got refugees pouring in from Central America. You know, they're leaving places where the majority of the people are living in poverty. They're risking their lives and being smuggled north and dropped off at the border. You know, only to be put in a shelter where they're facing this insecurity, where they have lots of health problems, where they left their countries because of healthcare disparities. So we got this complex problem and we're using a really simple approach. I mean, there's, a, there's so many acupuncture points and so many different herbs and so many different theories and ideas on how to treat all these people for all their individual problems. We're looking at more of a kind of a systemic approach, get really looking to get to the root of healthcare problems. So empowering that community in Wadis that's facing this enormous challenge with the ability to provide some sort of healthcare, some sort of mental health support, some sort of stress management. And in a, play, in a shelter where there's barely enough food for people to eat, there's not a lot of options for, for providing them with healthcare. The NADA protocol is, can be something really huge. So yeah, maybe in your community and maybe in my community where I live, the NADA protocol would maybe even make less of a difference because we've got security and safety. Well, and, and I think it depends too on the population that you're working with. I mean, you made a really good point earlier in our conversation that for people who are addicted to opium or for people that have other kinds of addictions or maybe they're homeless or there's all kinds of other challenges, that something like the NADA protocol and these folks having access to this in the first place can make a huge difference because it's the difference of getting some help or getting no help. The NADA model is, is, is really designed for, for working with underserved communities that don't have access to acupunctures. And let's face it, most people in my community that really are underserved, people living in poverty, and people who are truly on the fringes in this region, they're not going to call me up looking for acupuncture. They're not going to call me up, you know, looking for their local acupuncturist. They don't even know what acupuncture is, let alone how it could be relevant. They probably don't think it, that, that it's that affordable. Maybe there's not even acupuncturists around them. So that's why, you know, we've, we focus on really training people who are working with underserved communities. We're not just training anybody in the NADA protocol. Our students in WADAs, throughout WADAs, you know, were selected by the Catholic Diocese of Wadis because they were identified as, as working in churches where there had been a lot of violence, where there was a lot of poverty. Right. Working with the folks that you're working with, it sounds like you can get, they sound like they're leverage points, so to speak. They're very connected to their community. They're very motivated to be of service. And so you give them a few tools, they can get a lot of work done. Yeah, I mean, you know, the cost of treatment is, you know, the supplies, 30 or 50 cents per treatment. You know, they, they'll like, you know, set up a clinic after mass. The priest will be like, hey, we want to get acupuncture after mass. They sit in the pews. The nuns come around, scoot in, put the needles in their ears, collect a few donations. You know, they don't charge anybody. They collect enough donations to pay for the supplies and needles. Beyond 
teaching the NADA, are there other elements of basic health care, be it Chinese medicine health care or basic sanitation, some basic Western medicine that can be super helpful, first aid, that kind of thing? Are there other aspects of medicine that you're teaching to these people so that they can be of greater service to their communities? Yeah, I mean, the NADA protocol is like the basis, like the intro level for students. It's a three-day training we offer. And the idea with the NADA is to get them confident in needling, teach them how, how they can set up their own community-supported service, right, to learn how to get their confidence up. But we have a, we've designed a community acupuncture training where we teach them distal-style acupuncture, Miriam Lee protocol, other types of points. Um, we teach them how to offer group-based acupuncture you know, using points in the head, hands, and feet. You know, basically the same skills that I use in my community acupuncture clinic over in Las Cruces, New Mexico. You know, things that I've learned, you know, from teachers in school. And a lot of acupuncturists use really basic protocols. So once they learn a, a, a groups of different protocols and they're able to demonstrate their, that they can work in a group setting, they can set up a clinic, then we start to ta layer in other types of uh, skills and diagnostics. You know, it's just about the five elements, you know, the six phases. We teach them kind of ton style balance acupuncture. Um, at the end of our 400-hour training, we teach them master tongue points. You know, we just had a great class with David Lesseps, who came in from California. He's a great master tongue teacher who taught at the community acupuncture school in Portland. He came and taught them master tongue points. And really, really fabulous training. And those are students that have you know, learned a number of different, uh, we kind of layer in skills and theory. First day of class, they learn how to needle. They start needling right away. And uh, those who demonstrate that they're serious about this, that they can offer this treatment safely, you know, then we give them the chance to learn other types of skills, other types of protocols you know, more advanced theory and diagnostics. But it's definitely the opposite of how acupuncture, other acupuncture schools teach. It sounds like the complete opposite because it sounds to me like what you're doing. You're going there, you're teaching some basics. You get them working in clinic and make sure that they feel capable, that they are capable, that they've got some clinical experience and clinical skills and they're demonstrating that they're picking up the basic material. And then as they do that, you give them the next piece. And now they've got this clinical work that they get to start practicing it and learning it. And then you give them the next piece. Yeah, we, you know, we, we put them into small groups. You know, we, we teach them some activities you know, they can do in their small groups, homework assignments, practice sessions. We've got several students that are assistant teachers now. And so they proctor exams. They proctor um, these small groups. And now there's a lot of these clinics. There's you know, over 10 churches in Wadas that are offering free community acupuncture. Every day of the week, you can find community acupuncture there. And so there's places where these students can go and observe and see how this church down the road is offering acupuncture, community acupuncture in the Sunday school room or how this other you know, church is offering it after mass or how this nun is going to the shelter every Sunday and doing NADA group for 100 people. Yeah, and we also have students that are, that are you know, working within factories in the Wada City Mental Health Department. But most of it is, is within the churches. So, so see, you know, first acupuncture school ever started by the uh, Catholic Church. And um, the priests are, 
one of the biggest supporters of, of the project because, you know, they see the benefits. A lot of the churches in Wadas are serving people that don't have access to a doctor. And that's what's really, you know, unique about what they're doing is offering care for people that you know, don't have access to to doctor and medical care, let alone acupuncture. So. Well, it sounds like it's acupuncture partners well with liberation theology. Yeah. That was what I studied in, in undergrad, liberation theology. Ah. Um, so that was one of the things that really inspired me to, you know, let me down the path to get involved in, in acupuncture and then at a movement. Dorothy Day, Thomas Merton, Daniel Berrigan, Oscar Romero, Don Helder Camara, Martin Luther King Jr. Really people who are putting a different lens on social problems and and redefining, you know, how we talk about something like sin as Christians, for example, there, you know, let's look at less about the individual sin. Let's look at the social sins of oppression and justice, violence, war. You know, let's, let's focus on liberation and salvation for our entire society. I mean, let's not just be like looking out for our own salvation, trying to get into heaven. You know, how are we going to save America from going to hell? You know, that's something Martha King Jr. was you know, really, in his last year's really fired up on, is how are we going to save our society? And so as acupuncturists, looking at acupuncture as a, as a liberation model, you know, liberation acupuncture. Hang on a second, just, sure. I, I, I love that term, liberation acupuncture. I hear about liberation theology. I can't say I really understand it. We're having this conversation, the term liberation acupuncture comes up, and, and it, it conjures up for me, wow, there's ways that we can take our medicine into places, share it with people who can then serve their own communities and make the world a better place. That sounds pretty inviting. Um, but when you think about liberation theology, liberation acupuncture, what exactly is that? What is liberation theology? Liberation theology is concerned with, with social salvation and systemic evil. So the movement inspired Martin Luther King Jr., actually, who was critical of his evangelical Christianity, he said that we should focus less on saving individual souls and more on how we can save the soul of the world, of society. So mm -hmm. he said that, you know, that this the world root, a better place. Yeah, the root of problems is not people hurting people, is looking at what in our socio-political economic context that enables violence and racism and injustice to happen. So, so we talk a lot about, in, in Chinese medicine, the root and the branch. And we learn we have a duty to, to, to get to the root of illness in our patients. And in order to do that, I would argue, from a liberation acupuncture perspective, we need to go beyond kidney deficiency. We need to go beyond just looking at the patient in front of us and their signs and symptoms, we need to understand that their illness is a symptom of societal problems, which the root of, of societal problems, the root of illness is community disempowerment, systemic problems with healthcare access. So, so liberation acupuncture means looking critically at our conventional acupuncture models, how they fail to help the poor that who has no access to acupuncture. So liberation acupuncture means raising sociopolitical consciousness as integral to health as putting needles in people or asking the 10 questions.
in recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. So you're so, looking to change the terrain that people live their lives in. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, another big part of liberation theory is that oppressed communities must be active participants in solving their own problems and fighting for their own justice. Not in creating dependency on us as acupuncturists, but empowering them. So my work here in the border region which is primarily in Juarez, Mexico, is built around organizing local communities, helping them, power them with new tools like the NADA protocol. We've talked a lot about that. So they can respond to their own healthcare needs. And now there's all these migrants living in their city and they have these tools. They can help their neighbors, these migrants affected by, you know, violence and poverty. So, so you know, I hear from my students all the time, you know, that it's something like the NADA Air Commercial Protocol you know, has helped people a great deal. Sometimes it's saved people's lives. It's helped people overcome a lot of difficulties. And, you know, why wouldn't we want everyone to have access to something like that? And, and, and that's very possible here in the U.S. to create a better terrain, right, where everybody has access to something like the NADA protocol. It could put a huge dent in the opioid epidemic here in the United States. So... I mean, the opioid epidemic, it, it's, it's killing people at a much, much higher rate than the bullets in Mexico. It's a huge problem that we have. And, you know, increasingly, it's, it's becoming more difficult for people to get a hold of opioid medications. I know in my practice, I've got some patients that have, you know, chronic pain issues. And they find that acupuncture is really, really helpful. And they're grateful because... Actually, often the pain meds don't work for them in the first place. But these are also not people that have then gone on and become addicted to opioid medication, by and large. That's a whole other kettle of fish that these, you know, so-called, I'm using air quotes here, legal prescription drugs are showing up on the black market and being abused in all kinds of ways. Yeah, you know, acupuncturists, we can play a huge part in in the opioid epidemic. But, you know, the truth is, is there's a lot of places with no acupuncturists. There's a lot of people that wouldn't that don't have access to us. You know, but there's there's thousands of community workers in in our in our areas, in our states, you know, that could offer something like the NADA protocol. And sometimes the NADA protocol is the first 
experience people have with acupuncture, getting them off opiates uh, is a huge step towards them to be able to start addressing chronic pain issues, which full body acupuncturists like you and myself, you know, have a lot more skills to be able to offer them. So, yeah. Well, the, the other piece that I find really compelling about what you're doing is you're empowering communities to care for themselves. Like you just pointed out, fostering dependency doesn't help. In fact, it makes the problem worse. And, you know, maybe it kicks the can down the road, but it doesn't really change much. If you, if you empower a community to care for itself, you know, I hear about how you've been training people in Mexico. By the way, are there licensure issues in Mexico? I know, I know here in the States there's licensure issues and, you know, that's one thing. But what's, what's the situation in Mexico? Can anyone practice acupuncture if they want to? Or do they need to be a little bit underground with this? If they're using needles, what's the situation there? Yeah, you know, it's different from region by region throughout Mexico, like in, like in the U.S. to, to a certain degree. Um, what we do in Mexico, though, uh, that is, is exclusively with the, um, with the Catholic Diocese of Juarez. And um, so we have a, a created a special like, regulation within the Catholic Diocese. So our students that are learning... For example, the Miriam Lee protocol and other types of acupuncture protocols, setting up these community acupuncture services, they are exclusively working within the ages of, of the Catholic diocese. So, yeah, you know, the NADA protocol is a little bit more limited uh, subset of protocol and it's a little bit more controlled environment. There are other types of providers that do the NADA protocol throughout Mexico and other places in Latin America. So, yeah, as acupuncturists, we have an exclusivity problem. And the world often sees us that way, something that is reserved for the well-off, for people with graduate degrees and, and time in our lives to pay somebody for, for, for deep healing. So, and that, that's great. And it's, you know, with liberation acupuncture, what we're looking at is like, well, you know, what are the limits of that? You know, and what can we do to empower a local community so they don't have to depend on somebody like us? I was talking to someone else recently on another podcast conversation, and she was talking about how she sees Chinese medicine as a kind of um, public health service, you know, really looking at it through that lens of how can we help all communities, but especially those that really need some help. And it sounds like you're doing a lot of that work with the Archdiocese down in Mexico helping these communities, given the experience that you've had, if you were like able to, you know, create the ideal, I don't know if program is the right word, but like set of tools, what are the, in addition to like Miriam Lee and uh, in the NADA protocol, what, if you could, what would you give to these communities to help them help themselves in terms of acupuncture skills? You know, we don't just train them how to put needles in. in. In our education program, we actually do teach them quite a bit more. We teach them a lot of uh, patient interviewing skills, just focusing on, on teaching people how to hold space for somebody, how to just listen without, without you know, like keeping in check our, our desire to give advice or to, or to solve their problems or to that part of ourselves that wants to 
that maybe wants to create a, a dependency with them, but you know, or wants to be their savior and wants to know all of their their story is just creating space for for that person just to feel safe, so they can, and so that that involves a whole lot of a lot of like different types of skill sets. Is yeah, those are not acupuncture skills. Those are those are human heart skills. Yeah, and then doing it in a group setting. It's it's teaching them how to hold space for multiple people at, at once, how to um, set expectations for for patients. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that as in our toolbox as Chinese medicine that, that could help people. Outside of the U.S., there are just these unique programs, uh, really creative programs like the Guatemalan Acupuncture Medical Aid Project, like Richard Mandel's Pan-African Acupuncture Project that have really laid laid the groundwork for international acupuncture humanitarian aid work, out of which we developed our program. So so outside of the U.S., there's a little bit more room for, for creativity. Regulations are, are, are very strict in the U.S. Um, the NADA protocol is the only little subset of skills that that can be licensed in the U.S. I doubt that's ever going to change anytime soon or if at all ever in the future just because of the unique, you know, regulatory landscape we have in the U.S. But there's a lot, lot, lot you can teach, you know, people in, in South Africa. The Mox Africa Project teaches, you know, direct moxa on stomach 36 to treat medication-resistant tuberculosis. They've yeah, got amazing results. They're so, doing there. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, that would be a, a really awesome uh, program for you to interview here on this podcast, a whole different type I've, of perspective. I've, I've already you know. interviewed Merlin about that. Oh, you have? I'm sorry. I didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't listen to that. I, I wish I would have known. So, yeah. Well, I got 100 and some odd podcasts. I mean, there's a lot of them out there at this point. But, yeah, I interviewed Merlin, oh, maybe a year or so ago. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely. Oh, man. And he talked a lot about Paul Farmer. Yeah, he's a very inspirational figure, you know. So I think there's a lot. Um, teaching needles is just a, a very small part about what we do. You know, how do you approach community health problems in particularly disaster relief areas, situations of violence, of war, um, refugee contacts, like what we have on the border right now. How do we approach that in the right way? How do we build relationships with local communities? How do we create authentic connections? That's that's really where the rubber meets the road, you know. And acupuncturists in the U.S. can learn a lot from that, you know. You know how to build uh, trust, you know, at a local level. How to create a consistent presence over time, and and how to create systems that aren't based on dependency that are based on, on really local community empowerment, you know, and it starts with our patient. There's a way to empower our patient in a way that's not creating dependency. And there's a way to create dependency, to dangle something in front of them. You know, if you just pay me a little more money, then you'll really get the, the, the special service, you know? And, and so there's a lot of issues like that, 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 that can always be re-examined on a micro level as acupuncturists in our, in our micro interactions, right? These little microaggressions that can really do harm to patients. And then at a macro level, what are the systemic things, you know, from a public health point of view, like you were talking about, you know? I think one of the things that acupuncturists are often get on the wrong track of is, is, is fighting turf wars with other providers, you know? I, I don't think that's uh, the best way to build relationships in the US, you know, public health landscape. I think recognizing the value of other, of other providers, building relationships, you know, finding a place where, where we can uh, have, be in a place within the United States where we can uh, 
we can really empower communities with with something we have where they look up to us as our as as their mentors you know as as their leaders as their teachers yeah and even help other professionals i have a uh, a friend who's a psychotherapist and uh, i give him acupuncture on occasion he's 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 quite keen on it he's at a place in his life where going back to acupuncture school not going to happen right uh, he's not going to spend three or four years just so he can do some needles. But but he says to me again and again, he goes, you know, there are times that my patients are in this really critical emotional juncture. And if I could just do a couple needles that would let them settle the way that I know a human being can settle when I'm on your table, I would be able to help them a whole lot more. And I think to myself, Wow. If he could just do the not a protocol, or even just what I call the the ear three needles, right? Heart zero point and uh, Shenman, right? It really brings a person into themselves. And wouldn't that be helpful in an emergency room when someone's waiting for treatment, right? And they might be waiting hours. What about just a few needles to calm them down? Someone at a psychotherapist, you know, like my buddy, right? Where someone's really having a difficult emotional moment, if they could settle just enough to be able to have that space that you're talking about to maybe reintegrate something in themselves. I think there's lots of places where it could be super helpful to other people and other professions. And it takes away nothing from what we have. Yeah. Well, you know, like, you know, working down here, one of the reasons why I do what I do and why I cross the border regularly We'll work over there. It's because the inspiring stories I hear from people over on the other side of the border that have these little stories here and there of, of somebody that came into them in in a, in a time of deep suffering, and they just put a few needles in, and it and it and it had this profound impact on on themselves as a provider and the other person. You know, some of the people I've trained say, you know, before they didn't they didn't you know um, uh, know how to how to help somebody who's having like an anxiety attack and um, they maybe could listen to them, but that helped to a certain degree. Um, you know, there's one story about this uh, uh, church on the far South side of Wattis, you know, where in this community set up next to a factory, a lot of poverty out there. And this woman came in and she was suffering from a severe vaginal infection. She had a high fever and there weren't a lot of options. It was late Saturday afternoon. They really didn't know what to do. The, the woman wanted acupuncture. And so they just laid her down on the ground on a little mattress and put these Shenmen, liver, lung point in, three of the nano points. And the woman, woman slept for, for, for a while. And, and it brought her fever down a little bit. And it wasn't the cure for her problem, but it, it got through her through, through that moment. So, so, yeah. Yeah, sometimes we just need a stepping stone from one place to another. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a it's a it's a really excellent way to describe. I think what 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 it really what we all have the capacity to do as as active providers is provide safe space to get from one moment to the next because the world is is going to keep on turning. But getting through moment to moment is 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 really key to living. <laughs> so yeah, well, thank you so much for taking this time sharing these perspectives. It's it's opened my mind up a bit to some things I hadn't been thinking about before. And, and I find that helpful. I hope our listeners find it useful as well. Ryan, if people would like to get in touch with you to learn more about what you're doing or maybe to help out or, or learn something or contribute in some way, 
Uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? There's a few different ways that, that people can can pitch in and help out. So people from the outside can donate. We're a nonprofit organization, so you, you can make a tax-deductible donation at crossroadsacupuncture.com. So on our website, you can also find information about our training programs. Um, we do have a lot of acupuncturists that have come to volunteer as teachers and as providers. And so, you know, going through our, our website, crossroadsacupuncture.com, you can learn about our different programs. Great. Well, again, thanks so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.